Hi, I'm Alex L., and I write books for a living. The Hey Girl podcast was created with sisterhood and storytelling in mind. Hey girl. Hey girl. Hey girl. Hey girl. (laughs) I'll be sitting down with some phenomenal women to discuss love. I believe we grew distant out of love of some type, like, I don't want to hurt you. Loss. Really don't know what's going to trigger that feeling of grief in any moment. And a topic very important to my work, self-care. Freedom is self-care. It's not about pedicures. It's not about clothing. It's not about trips. Join us as we journey through sharing together. Today on the show, I'm chatting with visual storyteller, creative entrepreneur, photographer, and world traveler, Neka Julia. She is a phenomenal woman standing in her truth, standing in her creativity, and standing in her power. I think you all are going to enjoy our conversation today. It's filled with gems about being a woman of color in the photography space, navigating, traveling, building community, and the power of possibility through imagery. This is Neka's story. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Nika, it's so good to have you. Thank you so oh. much for being on the show. I'm excited. <laughs> of course, I'm so excited, Alex. You have no idea. <laughs> this is, um, I, I've been wanting to chat with you on the show for months now. So I'm glad that we're able to be here and we're going to talk about all things travel and just being a woman of color in this space. Um, but before we do that, please introduce yourself to the Hey Girl listeners, if you don't mind sharing who you are and what you do. My name is Neka Julia, and I'm a first-generation Cambodian slash Nigerian photographer, storyteller, avid traveler, sardonic observer, <laughs> lifelong student. Um, and you know, I do a lot. I I do a lot of things creatively. So you know, I couch it under the term artist. My main question for you and the reason why I wanted to talk to you on the show is because there are so many um, creative outlets that people are exploring these days. And as a woman of color, I find that more of us are stepping into that space and becoming more visible. So I would love to talk to you a little bit about how you dove into photography as a career and your passion for traveling and being a black woman in the creative entrepreneurial space. Ooh, definitely. That's um, it's one of the things that really sparked my interest in photography. I think everybody hearing more and more stories, a lot of people are coming to it in unconventional ways. Mm-hmm. So my my dad used to keep boxes and boxes of like analog film, uh, you know, old photos, just candid things. He's a candid guy. So he took a lot of candid shots in the 70s, 80s, 90s of all of his friends, their get togethers. And our life growing up was documented really, really well. Mm-hmm. So uh, for me, that inspired me to say, what am I doing currently? And this was about four years ago. Uh, four to five years ago, is what am I doing currently to document my life and the life of those around me? And that really sparked uh, curiosity in me to pick up the camera as, you know, like an artist uses their words or uses a canvas Mm -hmm. and a paintbrush. Mm -hmm. My tool of choice that fell into my lap because of the interest of my dad's photography was the camera. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
And he actually did it. You know, it, it's funny just thinking back to it because I stole his camera for a little bit, which he wasn't too happy. <laughs> he wasn't too happy about that for all the Nigerians, for all the people with Nigerian dads out there. You know how uh, they don't like our, their stuff taken. So I took his camera and kind of saved up enough money to buy my own. And he was like, oh, well, you know, why don't you just use mine for a little bit? But I was like, I, I don't really want to hear you complain for another month. So. <laughs> Let me, you know, let me grab my own, uh, you know, bought a little starter Nikon and just started shooting everything around me. And if you scroll, definitely if you scroll down to my Instagram feed, you see I was feeling myself with that <laughs> with that camera and and the little editing knowledge that I knew, you know, making myself black and white in the background colorful and <laughs> mm, love the evolution that's been birthed from that. <laughs> Oh my goodness. You know, I can't I can't delete those images, but but that that really it kind of spun off into my the first time I really dipped my my toes in travel photography is the first trip I took back to Cambodia. Mm. And you know, I remember so vividly just the feeling of exiting the plane, you know, the smell, the aroma of of jumpang, which is a type of flower that grows in Cambodia. And it has a very strong floral scent. So just de debarking the the plane and entering, going through customs, finally getting out into the uh, arrivals area. And it's usually packed with mm. people. Mm -hmm. So we all went out and half of the people, there probably had to be about 200 people in the arrival area. And half of them were my family members. Wow. So, yes. So I... I was so deeply moved by cousins were rushing me. Aunts, none of them speak a lick of English, Alex. Like, <laughs> when I say a lick, like, hello, goodbye, that's it. Are you bilingual? But, no, I'm, I'm not. I should be trilingual, but unfortunately, I'm not. Um, I'm, I'm picking up, I'm making both Kamai, which is my mom's language, and Igbo, which is my dad's, mm -hmm. uh, a, a mission to learn both that's for beautiful. myself and then future generations. That's beautiful. Um, Yes, but they, you know, they embraced us and, and I had my camera at that moment, right? So I just picked up photography and I, I made it a point to capture everything and everyone who was in, you know, our radius, our little bubble of love, essentially, um, in Cambodia. And it, it changed the course or the trajectory of my love for photography and my love for travel photography at that point, because I was able to capture intimate moments that I didn't realize were so special. Like somebody can fly to Cambodia right now and take pictures of Angkor Wat and take pictures of, you know, fleeting moments on the street. But I had a, a 88 year old aunt mm. who was, was praying to our great grandmother at a temple. And I was able to capture that moment. Wow. Wow. That is absolutely amazing that you're able to tell stories through photography. I've always been kind of captivated about how it seems like you've done that with so much ease. And the, the photos that you take are stunning. Um, so you. I just want to commend you for putting that imagery out into the world because without those type of captivating visuals, it would be so hard to I don't know, just explore this creative process and see how other people are living in other countries. So the fact that you had family there and were able to really dive in, even with the language barrier, the yes. photo speaks. And I think that Definitely. that is just monumental in itself. So to switch gears just a little bit, when did you fall in love with traveling? Um, I love traveling, but I don't do it much because I hate flying. 
So when I see you and Asiyami and y'all are like just living your best life and going to these faraway lands, or you and your sister, are you just enamored with journeying or did you have to grow into it? It it, it goes, it, it kind of comes full circle because it just, I think being part of a multicultural family mm-hmm. really helped, mm-hmm. really helped. So I didn't, I didn't have that, that itch or that stigma inside of me or that maybe that fear of trepidation that said I didn't belong. I, my va- my vibrations didn't match mm-hmm. other people's in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the journey for me, uh, the plane ride wasn't terrible. I've always kind of been, it's weird. Like I, I'm scared of heights. Definitely. But <laughs> Alex is like, yeah, me too. <laughs> me but, too. <laughs> but, you know, looking out the window, looking at the, uh, you know, the clouds just passing, it's just magical. Mm-hmm. For, for me, it's just magical. So the journey was never the issue. But, you know, for me, it was, it was really a matter of not necessarily, I didn't go out into traveling as like, I want to see the world. I want to climb Mount Everest and, you know, journey across the Himalayas. It, w- it was more so like I, I was searching for, especially at the beginning and even more strongly at this very point in my life, I was searching for the world within other people. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think we all are, my parents have shown me that the power of possibility. So I, I believe that we are all walking possibilities, walking museums of our own worlds within ourselves. And now being able to meet people where they're at in a spaces where they feel comfortable and talking to them and picking their brain and absorbing, you know, every bit of information and every bit of their story, it, it changes your life. Wow. Uh, you know, every single place I've been, you know, whether it's with Asi and or with my sister, it's it's an experience that I, I find to be a commodity of, of some sort, you know, of wealth that I can invest into the future. I love that. That is absolutely amazing. I want to touch on building community through travel. What has been the most important lesson that you've learned with traveling and building community? Because not only are you bringing lessons and experiences home with you, you're leaving people with a taste of, of you and who you are. Exactly. So what has been the the most pivotal moment in your travels where you're like, man, like this is community building 101. This is what I, I do this for, building community and leaving pieces of myself behind, but also taking people with me. Yes, that's that that is an excellent question. It really is. And I think that being fortunate again, reiterating the fact that I'm very, very fortunate to have um, a, a global family at my fingertips, right? So my father being of Nigerian descent, my mother being of Cambodian. And I think the first time where I really felt like, yeah, I have, you know, this is community and this is something I can leave my impact, I can leave my footprint in this place as as it did in my heart, essentially, uh, was when I went to Nigeria, when I when I first went back to Nigeria. How old were you and- when you went back? So I was 24 when I first went back to Nigeria and my dad hadn't taken, he kind of fell back. Nigeria is a very, <laughs> there's no place like Nigeria. So there, my dad kind of had, as, as well as a lot of the older generation that I've been talking to, kind of had a, a love-hate relationship with the country. Mm. Um, you know, there's, a, there's an issue of only going back for burials, only going back for, uh, you know, maybe a wedding, but a lot of these things aren't 
associated with or, or aren't conducive to growing a want for your children to go back on their own accord. So what my father wanted to do uh, because of the passing of his uncle, his mother, and his father, he wanted to hold a 10-year, you know, a not 10-year, but a memorial celebration that was never done. So we all packed our stuff up, went back to the village, and uh, we held a two-day medical mission mm. there and serviced over 3,000 people. Wow. So that was really a, a moment for me, on top of just it being amazing, an amazing place. Nigeria is one of my favorite places on the planet just because of the the contrast of of everything you could want in the diaspora in one place right mm -hmm. so the music the food the color um and to be able to experience that but also give back to the community and also you know it, it's like the phrase I, i've started using lately with which is think globally act locally mm. so that is I, I got a chance to have a global experience but also say come back to where I'm from or where my home is within the States mm -hmm. and make the same impact here. Mm. So I started doing community outreach once I came back as well. So I don't know why it took me going all the way <laughs> to Nigeria, <laughs> you know, to, to middle of nowhere, you say Kinesi, to meet people and hear their story. Some people who'd never seen a doctor in their life. And this is, I know that the stigma of, oh, you know, you go to Africa and it's a mission trip. But mm -hmm. this wasn't, this was like helping like, right? This was every, all the staff members were Nigerian. Wow. Mm -hmm. So Nigerian doctors, Nigerian nurses, Nigerian pharmacists, taking your talents back home. I don't think that is talked about enough because no. I really like how you, how you mentioned that people often think that going back to Africa is a mission trip. But the fact that everyone there who was servicing the community looked like them, like yes. that is what is magical and powerful and being able to take your gifts and your talents back home and serve your community. That is community building to the umpteenth degree because that, exactly. and that is what is needed. And I really like that you said that you were able to bring that back home and serve the community that you're in, you know, when you're not traveling and when you're settled at your home base. So I want to I want to talk about something else really quickly. Being a black woman navigating travel, photography mm. and social media, because I often see that most of the folks who are sharing their travels online don't look like us. Of course. But I feel as though a lot of people don't think that people of color can produce beautiful imagery like how you produce it or how Asi produces it or mm -hmm. what have you. People look towards white photographers or oh, yeah. what the white demographic to make things look beautiful and captivating. So I want to touch on how that has been for you navigating that space as a visual storyteller and mm -hmm. as someone who has decided to use her platform to share pieces of not only your travels, but your art form. Have you noticed that um, as far as partnerships oh. or where you go or, or just a hundred thousand yeah. percent? Okay. Okay. <laughs> to answer your question okay. right away. You okay. Know? Yes. You're spot on. You're spot on. And, and that actually brings me back to an article that I recently read that National Geographic released on, uh, you know, they apologized basically for their imagery that they had showed in the early 70s, I believe, and, and before then mm. of 
of images of uh, primitive primitive cultures, what they considered primitive right. cultures, which were all cultures of color, right? Right. Um, and how, the things that they wrote with uh, under them, with it, like the Aborigines in Australia calling them savages. Right. Um, and it brings me back to, it also brings me back to the quote by Karl Marx, which is, uh, I believe, cannot represent themselves, so they must be represented. Mm-hmm. And I believe that that's what a lot of these big brands have thought about us, um, especially me going into, say, say, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm an advocate, especially for people of color to, to hold multiple ideas within their head as much as possible mm-hmm. to be, to hold, to be capable of complexity mm-hmm. because we are underrepresented in almost every space right. on the mainstream. So within this travel space, I I believe in showing images of us, especially women of color, in the most luxurious of spaces. You know, you could be in the Four Seasons or the Rosewood with a pina colada in your hand, living your best life, mm. you know, hair flowing, skin popping. And <laughs> I, I also believe in being in the village, mm-hmm. you know, and just like Asi has this beautiful video of her braiding her grandmother's yes, hair. Yes. Yes. You know? Yes. And th- and then in the next five photos, you're making a place that a lot of people would never go to in their life look beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, look just a step like I just need to go there. Let me book a ticket today. Right. So, you know, I, I feel like we're a hundred percent uh at a magnificent time and place to where we can control our narratives and we can represent ourselves. Yes. And within travel, it is always, it, it still makes me cringe to this day, even doing work for a lot of uh, brands and a lot of hotels or resorts to where your staff, all of the staff is black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And all of the images, the island is black. And all of the images of in, individuals who stay there are white. Yeah. There's a deeply rooted issue within the imagery. And, you know, I, I don't, it doesn't matter to me what beef or what tiffs or whatever go on within, you know, the black travel community or, you know, the status chasing or whatever it is. Mm. At the end of the day, you know, like Issa Rae said, I'm rooting for everybody black. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> At the end like, of the day. <laughs> right. 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 Would you buy a t-shirt for 50 bucks if you knew it only cost seven to make? I wouldn't. With Everlane, you never overpay for quality clothes. They want you to know what you're paying for and why. So they tell you their real costs and are radically transparent about every step in their process. From the materials they use to the ethical factories they work with. That is what keeps me coming back to this brand. Essentials like their Cotton Crew t-shirt are exactly what they should be. Versatile, simple, stylish, and made from quality materials. I own so many of them, I've lost count. I have new ones, I have old ones, and they all give me what I need. Quality, endurance, comfortability. It's truly amazing. Right now, in rotation, I have 
a few pair of Everlane's denim, of course, my t-shirts from them and my sweatshirts. I can't live without any of them. And I am so happy that Everlane makes quality goods that I can continue to go back to. Right now, you can check out our personalized collection at everlane.com slash heygirl. Plus, you'll get free shipping on your first order. That's everlane.com slash heygirl. Again, that's everlane.com slash heygirl. Do you love discovering new products? Are you a beauty and fashion maven constantly on the hunt for the next best thing? Ever read about or spot something online that you've always wanted to try but never have? Then you might love FabFitFun. It allows women everywhere to discover new products as well as including rave review and must-have brands that you know and love. It's like Christmas four times a year. Stumped on gift ideas? FabFitFun is also a great gift for someone you love. You can surprise your mom or sister with this awesome summer box packed with great items. Do you have a daughter who's going to college, maybe, or a friend who's a new mom? FabFitFun is an awesome care package. My last box came with this beautiful lotus towel. It was blue, and it's shaped like the flower, and it has a gorgeous design in the middle. That's something we've been laying out on the deck and relaxing on for a few weeks now. So what I love about FabFitFun is that they offer full-size products, no samples of anything. Every box is guaranteed to have over $200-plus in retail value. The summer 2019 box has a total retail value between $269 to $467. That's fantastic. Treat yourself with items in it, such as the Sutra Professional Mini Travel Blow Dryer, the beautiful Vicks Paula Lotus Towel, or the West Elm Indigo tie-dye bowls. Many of the products' individual value is more than the entire cost of the box. You can customize your box by choosing some products and some add-ons with each one. Or you can be surprised. It's great for discovering new brands and new products. What a better way to shop. I'm looking forward to my next box because they're always so different and packed with things I can actually use. I like to share the items in my box with my 11-year-old. She's really into skincare these days. We recently got a clay mask and a foot mask and a body scrub. She loves them all. The FabFitFun 2019 Summer Box is on sale now. So sign up for FabFitFun today. These boxes always sell out. You can use my code HEYGIRL to get $10 off your first box. All you have to do is go to FabFitFun to sign up and get started. Use promo code HEYGIRL to get $10 off your first box. That's over $200 for only $39.99. Go to FabFitFun.com and use my code HEYGIRL to get $10 off your first FabFitFun box. I'm going to give you an example of something. I Mm -hmm. was booked to speak um, and teach at a retreat center And the retreat center is this beautiful, just luxurious, just amazing space. But everybody there is white. So, of course, they're trying to bring in people of color, educators and speakers to show that they're, quote unquote, diverse. And Mm. at first I was like, I'm not I'm not doing that. I'm not going to be the black one. I'm just not going to do it. And then. I switched that tone because at the end of the day, if we want to infiltrate these spaces, we have to choose to show up 
Because right now people think, well, they don't go to things or they're invited and they don't come because they don't feel included. And those are real feelings. And we're allowed to have those feelings. But we are also allowed to shift the narrative and be like, I'm going to show up and then I'm going to bring my crew with me. And we're all going to show up and we're going to do this work that that needs to be done. And it took a lot for me to take a step back and kind of check my ego because it was like, okay, I'm in this, I'm in this space and I'm given this opportunity to show up and to bring other people out who look like me. Because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, if I'm not coming, they're not coming. Okay. And that is what, that is how we bridge the gap. And that is how we build community because that retreat center is going to see like, Oh, Look at this. And we're going to be like, yes, we do. We show up, we come out, and we are able to do this and to yes. and to build community that way. So I, I, I like how you touched on, you know, the narrative in some of these places is it's so skewed. But oh, it it's ta- so skewed. It takes women like us in, in these types of fields and creative out, outlets in the wellness space to be the face because if we're not the face, then how is how is anybody going to know to come out and to be proud of coming out? You know, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's just oh, the, the feeling I was left with. That a thousand percent makes sense. I, I mean, and I just, you know, quick, uh, I was talking to one of the head men. I just recently came back. My sister and I took a little trip to Jamaica mm-hmm. and we stayed at a place called GoldenEye. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty notorious. Bob Marley owned it for a little bit. And then Chris Blackwell now currently owns it. And I spoke with, we were at the bar just hanging out. And uh, one of the GMs came and sat and chatted with me for you know about an hour. I don't even know if he was supposed to do that, but he was nice enough to give me his time. And he was discussing how it's kind of taboo for him to be in this space, mm. like to be a general manager of Jamaican descent at a resort in Jamaica. Wow. Yes. So, you know, I was asking him how that was. And he was saying that people, the individuals that he runs into at this resort, he deals with millionaires, he deals with billionaires. And they're always, they always ask him for the GM. And he's like, you're looking at the GM. (laughs) So a lot of them have to kind of adjust their attitude after realizing that they're not going to be dealing with somebody who looks like them. Uh, in a country that is not their own. Mm. I was on my friend's Instagram stories and she was talking about microaggressions and how every time she's in her apartment complex, someone asks her if she's the cleaning person. Wow. And she's like, no, y'all, like, I live here. (laughs) I live here. Yo, I pay rent. Like, I pay rent. Like, I... (laughs) I live here. And it's just crazy how, you know, yeah, we've come so far, but we have so much further to go. And Mm. this work, whether it's creative work, whether it's visual storytelling, whether it's writing or wellness, this work needs more faces that are black and brown and of color because. A hundred percent. So I've what I love about you and Asi in particular and your visual storytelling and your travel is because you ladies are really doing it in a way that feels authentic and accessible. 
I think a lot of folks find that when they're on social media or on people's websites or even just looking at folks who they admire from a career standpoint, you guys are both photographers, you guys are both women of color, and it's like, how how can I do that? You guys right. make it feel like the door is open. You just have to walk through it. And that's what I really admire about the work that you put out. Um, it feels like I can touch that. And it's for me, if that makes if that makes sense. Oh, that makes me. So I'm smiling from ear to ear right now. So that's <laughs> that's a hundred percent the response that that I hope uh, people get from the work that both you know myself and I know Asia is definitely. Um, you want to make it, you know, palpable, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You you want people to be able to touch it. Yeah. You want people to see themselves in it. Um, which a lot of this travel photography, a lot of photography in general, you know, especially if you're looking at the huge brands like Nat Geo, all of these images are shot by white men. Yeah. You know, the numbers, you can't, you can't argue with the numbers. And that's, that's something that thankfully these platforms are, are giving us the chance to change. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, so I want to circle back to your mom being Cambodian, your dad being Nigerian, and you being in the work that you're in to um, your parents. Are they happy for you? Were they happy and supportive (laughs) of you in the beginning? Or were they like, what are you doing? It was, they still, I I don't even think my parents could still tell you what I do. You know, my dad would probably be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She takes, you know, photos and, you know, my mom would be like, oh, yeah, like, I think Nana do something creative. You know, she <laughs> she really, I really don't think they could tell you what I do, but I think they're proud of me for sure. Actually, I know they're proud of me. My mom told me this morning. Oh, that's uh, when I When I saw her. <laughs> but it's, it was, it's one of those things where they have always been, and I'm I'm so very thankful for the individuals that they are. They've always been open to like I said before, possibility. Mm. And for many individuals with immigrant parents, we know how rigid they could be and how rigid they can be because they've had to survive. You know, they they were in survival mode before even being able to think about thriving. So my, my dad was able to get past the hump of survival and was able to see past the kind of the illusion of solid ground with just work, nine to five work, Mm -hmm. Uh, because he was at Ford for 25 years before he left and started his own healthcare company. Wow. Yes. So he's, you know, now retired pretty much doing his own thing, but still generating income from the business. And he did real estate. My dad did a million different things. And he was, he was confident enough to venture off onto his own. And my mother has always believed in hard work and always is a very, very frugal Southeast Asian woman, but, (laughs) (laughs) you know, she balances out my dad's kind of opulence. So I, they, they both have been very, very supportive at times. They've been like, well, what are you really doing? Um, is this going anywhere? But more often than not, they've preached, especially my father has preached to, to never give up. And if I work harder on myself than I do on any job that I'm given, I'll be able to end up where I want to be eventually. Beautiful. That's that support is so important and so needed. 
And it's always a bonus when you have folks in your corner encouraging and rooting. Um, Definitely. It's a beautiful thing. So we're going to wrap up here in a minute. But before we do, I want to touch on two more things. Okay. And one of which is my favorite thing ever that you do on Wednesdays. <laughs> Me and Ryan be dying <laughs> at those videos. And oh I want to talk about how Waste His Time Wednesday came to be because Ooh. they are hilarious. Oh, my God. And you, you low-key should be a stand-up comedian because I literally just die laughing every oh time. <laughs> Sometimes I watch them. I'm like, who is this? <laughs> it really is like an alter ego. Love it. So it, it actually came about, of course, wine was involved when it came about. So I was on my porch summer 2016 and, you know, sipping a, a big gauntlet of uh, Kim Crawford wine, Sauvignon Blanc. And I was just freshly, literally f- dropped freshly out of a relationship that I didn't really want to be in. And it was it was one that was kind of post, you know, the how you get out of, I was in a three-year relationship prior to entering into this kind of fling. Mm-hmm. And, and it, there was no wiggle room for, or, or no really gap in that three-year relationship to this this kind of uh, rebound per se. Mm-hmm. And I I broke up with, I broke it off with him and, you know, kind of was enjoying at the start of the, sum, the summer and was enjoying myself kind of sitting, sipping wine. And I just kind of made a decision. I was like, I made a decision. I was like, I'm wasting everyone's time this summer. <laughs> you know, like I'm single, I'm wasting every person's time that I come in, I come in contact with every dude in my atmosphere is going to get his time wasted. So, <laughs> you know, I grabbed my phone <laughs> and this is at the time when I'm using Snapchat. I literally had like three people following me, my dad being one of them. <laughs> oh my and- goodness. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm, I'm speaking into the camera and I'm like, yo, these are three principles that you have to do to waste a man's time is listen to his aimless passions, laugh at his terrible jokes. And, you know, if you, if he tells you he loves you and you meet his mom, you went too far. So <laughs> that's that's vintage waste this time. That kind of how I came up with it is that I was in that situation and I was like, you know what, this I'm going to have fun this summer. I'm going to live my best life being single. And it kind of spiraled into this this thing where I was, you know, every, my three Snapchat followers were like, you got to, you know, you got to put this out. You got to do something with this. And Dad included. In- <laughs> Dad included, right? Dad, my dad's like, is that my wine glass? Like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> Oh my gosh. And Instagram came out with stories, surprisingly. So it all kind of, all the dots kind of connected. And I started doing it on a, on a regular basis and adding more principles. And, and it just has spiraled into kind of a, a funny thing and, and more of a movement than I even thought it would be. But it's definitely about a play on power because I felt at the time, I felt like, I felt a little bit powerless. I felt like mm. I was defined by, the men in my life hmm. for a little bit. Hmm. And, and I wanted to shake that. I wanted to shake that, that feeling of, okay, if it's not Naka and, or Naka and such and such are going this place, it's like, you know, no, it's just me. And I have control over my dating life. I have control over my time. And unfortunately, these guys don't that are in my, <laughs> that are in my little orbit at this point. 
and and it was about taking my power back more than anything else. So there's there's kind of a it's candy with the medicine, I would mm. say for myself. Mm. I love that. I love I love those videos every Wednesday. I love <laughs> and and by the way, I have become a wine drinker. So I asked uh, my doula if I could drink while breastfeeding and she goes yeah just wait 90 minutes before you give the baby any breast milk and you'll be good so I have my little glass of wine every night and I relax and decompress and um it's really your fault because I was like I don't even (laughs) I don't even like wine I I was about to be reciting the principles I I was like I don't even like wine but I'm gonna try it and I I really I want to get some insight too um about your favorite, like your top three favorite wines, because all jokes aside, like you really helped me figure out what I could possibly like in a wine because I had no idea. I was not an avid wine drinker at all. And I'm still, you know, working my way through. So what are your top three wines that you are loving right now? Oh, the ones that I'm loving right now, especially because it's summer. Um, there's Moscato di Asti. I'm kind of a, I never, I'm not really a sweet wine drinker, but Moscato di Asti's, they have like a little fizz. I'm kind of, I'm a carbonation. Like I don't drink sodas, but when, when it has like a kind of a floral hint of carbonation, I just go crazy. So Moscato di Asti is chilled for the summertime. I'm currently drinking, it's called Vietti Cassinetta, I believe. Mm. And so that that one is a must. I tried the 11 minute rosé that you recommended, and that is currently on the list. Oh, good. Nice. The Pasqua. Oh, my goodness. That's a must. And I got I it from have... World Market, by the way. I was just in the, the really? wine aisle perusing. And I was Ooh. like, oh, let me try this, this, this and this. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I tried it last week. Chilled. Oh, my goodness. Good. You know. Good. Nobody could tell me anything for about two hours. <laughs> and then my go-to, it's the most, I think, the most purchased Sauvignon Blanc there is, is Kim Crawford. It's just very, I mean, you can't go wrong. I'm usually not a hype beast when it comes to it, but when it's chilled, it's a summer night, you know, the sun is going down, you're figuring out what you're getting into for the night. Kim Crawford is the way to go. Awesome. That's great. And you like fizzies? I drink mine out of a mason jar because we have no <laughs> wine glasses. Is that tacky? I'm going to send you some glasses. <laughs> Email me your address. Okay. I got you. Let me, let me be the first to send you glasses, okay. please. Okay, I will do that. Okay, so as we wrap up, I want to get your three self-care tips as you navigate the space of photographer, um, traveler, and woman of color. For me, I would say the top one would really be creating. Like I, I just self-care for me, especially when I'm traveling, like is creating, is telling the stories. It's really, you know, exposing the pages of people mm. and the chapters of places in a world that demands a single story from people who look like us. That is number one is when I'm actually having a discussion, when I'm building a bridge with somebody over a glass of wine or over some jerk chicken and Kalaloo. Um, that is the most satisfying feeling. And it, it may be completely selfish, <laughs> but it is self-care for me, especially when I'm traveling. So that that would be number one. Uh, number two has definitely been, I've recently I've been taking walks with people I love mm. and having conversations. I've kind of been, you know, making a list and 
asking myself. Jim Rohn is, is one of my all-time favorite uh, speakers and business philosophers. And he said something profound a couple months ago, and I've kind of taken it and ran with it. But he said you should make a list of people you haven't talked to in a while and ask how long has it been. And that's what I've been doing. And I've been taking you know those people by the hand and taking walks and just talking and spending that time with them. And, you know, bouncing ideas off of each other and making each other better, investing life into into life, right? Investing life into life has the potential to to create miracles. Mm -hmm. So I know that uh, that has been a very, very therapeutic thing for me lately. And number three, number three, self-care. This probably doesn't sound very meditative, but it's been taking up space. And taking up space has been very therapeutic for me. Um, Taking up space in, in wine, in the wine world, taking up space in with humor, taking up space with photography, taking up space with travel and letting people see and letting people know that you can be capable of more than just one thing Mm. and that you can stand in it and you can revel in it and you can be powerful in those places. You know, if you believe in yourself and you let yourself know that, Hey, this is hate it or love it. It's me. I think that's a great way to end, Nika. Thank you so, (laughs) so much. This was wonderful for me. This is wonderful, Alex. And I am sending you those glasses. Girl, listen, because if you don't, I'm just going to be drinking out of my ball mason jars and I am fine with it. Listen. not have you out here. (laughs) Drinking With the jars of mason. (laughs) The Hey Girl Podcast is a member of the District Productive. Produced by Paul, Woody Woodhall, and me, Alex L. Music by DC's own Kokai. <laughs>